Welcome back to the Smoke Signals podcast. It has been a while. I'm Justin Latta. I'm joined by John Fanta. John, since the last time we talked, uh, Mike Clevenger was the was traded. That was the last time you and I talked on a podcast. And since then, it has been uh, an interesting couple of weeks. How would you sum up these few weeks in, in a few words? I would sum up these few weeks in a few words by saying the Indians finally had their lack of hitting and offense get them so worn down that the pitching showed a chink in the armor and you fall into scenarios where games get decided, Justin, by little things and the Indians have not been paying attention to those details. And because of that, they've lost ball games on an eight game losing streak where you had three different runners get picked off. This offense cannot afford to have those types of things happen in a game against the Chicago Cubs on Tuesday, where there's a one run Chicago lead and Javi Baez steals second and then doesn't stop running and scores. And that's because of the Indians' defense. So for this ball club to win, they have to do all the little things because they just simply don't have the firepower in their lineup to outmatch you. The White Sox have it in them. The Twins can do that. They actually did it to the Indians uh, last weekend a little bit with home runs. But I think for the Indians, the last few weeks has been a style of winning, Justin, that's not sustainable. You can't simply win 3-2, 2-1, 4-2 every night. And at a certain point, a young pitching staff is going to go through some tougher times like any pitching staff would. And I'm not blaming the pitching staff. I'm just saying this is all human nature with the arms. We knew at some point that the bullpen was going to falter. You know, that, that that was just something that you had to be prepared for. Many bullpens do, but this Indians bullpen, we knew with the undefined roles, could go through some struggles. And if you rack up the, the pitching struggles, then you've got to make up for those in games by finding some timely hitting. The Indians have not done much of that this season. And then by doing the little things, and they have not done the little things. And in this year of obstacles and in this strange year, Terry Francona said in, at the outset of the season, the team that pays attention to detail the most, that, that maybe does the things that you don't see always in a box score, is the team that's going to have the most success. And it's amazing. Through 41 games, the Cleveland Indians were doing a lot of those little things. I think they've kind of reverted back to the mean. And if if I had told you at the start of the season that 27 and 23 would be the team's record, I don't think anybody would have been really, really surprised because I think we thought this team could be over 500, but we didn't think this team could be 11 games over 500. At least I didn't think that. So I think it has been doom and gloom here recently. I still think they can do something in October, and we'll get to that in this pod. But the the fact is, Justin, when you can only win one way against good teams, you're an underdog. And the only way the Indians win against good pitching and good teams is if they get great 
not good, great starting pitching, and they do the little things. And that's the biggest thing is they have not done the base running, the the defense. They've not performed at the level you need to, and it's cost them. It's cost them several games. Yeah, I don't I don't think if you would have told me at the beginning of the season if they had an eight-game losing streak, I would have believed you. 27 and 23 uh, would have been believable. If you would have told me back on July 24th when this whole season started – Sure. they were going to lose eight in a row. I don't think I would have believed that because I would have said the pitching is just way too good to allow that to happen. Now, obviously, we didn't predict that Tristan McKenzie would be in the rotation. We didn't predict Mike Clevenger. I mean, I guess we could have predicted Mike Clevenger is going to be traded. I think just the way things went down might have thrown things off a little bit. But I don't know if I would have believed eight in a row. I just don't think that that was possible. I could have seen four, maybe five. And to be fair... This, this losing streak, you know, it ended, it ended last night with a 10-3 to 3 win Thursday night over the Tigers because Jose Ramirez had a birthday party and Shane Bieber was miraculous. Um, yeah, we were all invited. Yeah, we were all invited. The Tigers uh, got their face smashed into the cape, but, you know, that's part of the fun for the Indians because, Lord, they needed that. Uh, but that's not the point. This losing streak could have ended days ago if they just didn't make any errors in Chicago. Like you mentioned, Delano DeShield's arm in center field allowing Kyle Schwarber, of all people. I mean, he went from first to third on a single, back up to middle. You know, Javi Baez ran like crazy on the Indians in those two games. That's Javi Baez. That's fine. He's a good base runner. He's fast. Kyle Schwarber should be going first to third on your center fielder on a ground ball back up to middle. He cannot. That cost him the game. Nick Whitgren hit two straight batters. That can't cost you a game. You know, they just – and then uh, Yu Chang, I think, made a bad throw on a double play. Uh, double play. You know, it's just these little things that all added up. So this winning streak, you know, it could have ended in Chicago. Um, it probably should have ended in Minnesota, honestly. They couldn't hit Kansas Maeda. They just let things snowball. Like you said, it's the attention to detail. It's This team can't afford to make little mistakes with the lineup they have. Um, no, especially and, with when you rely on pitching, you have and they have a young they have a young rotation, they have a young bullpen. When you have pitching as your backbone, you have to go out there and give them the support. And I don't know who that falls on. I don't know if it, it falls on who the team is running out there, or I don't know if it falls on you know get not these guys not being ready and not having practice or not not having them mentally focused. I don't know who to, who to, I guess it's all of them. Well, and it goes back to the offense and in four of the eight losses on the losing streak, you failed to get over two runs. Mm-hmm. And so when half of the losses you're doing that, that just weighs down on your pitching. And we tried to talk with Sandy Alomar about that over the course of the skid. And of course, I do think that any manager would try to say our pitchers aren't thinking about that. But, Justin, let's face it. When you're going out to the mound and you're thinking about your offense against good teams, not the Detroit Tigers, which I have a separate aside on that. If you're the Detroit Tigers home broadcasting crew or just the Detroit Tigers game operations staff, you have got to be so sick of Cleveland coming into Comerica Park and winning because – this is getting comedic now. I, I don't know how many road wins it is in a row, but it is. Because when the Tigers broke that that losing streak against the Indians, it actually came at Progressive Field. It, it hasn't come at Comerica. I got to 
Look and see how many consecutive games they've won at Comerica Park. That said, you know, it is pressure. It's pressure on a pitching staff where four of the five arms are 25 years old or less. You know, that really does weigh down on you. And then when you do get some hitting, that's where some of the mistakes have really risen. Um, from from the defensive miscues to the base running to I look at Wednesday, Justin, they had two men on in the 10th inning and Mike Freeman pinch hits yeah. and they failed to get the runner to third base. These are little things that you just cannot, you cannot do. And this losing streak started with getting outscored over two games, 14 to one by the Kansas city Royals. And I don't know if it's fatigue. I don't know if it's just this offense isn't any good, so they're going to have nights like that. You know, I, I think that, again, I don't think that all hope is lost because the Indians, they, you can't have the kind of pitching they have, including the Cy Young winner in a game one of a playoff series, and say that everything's done and it's doom and gloom. Like, would it surprise me if the Indians won their, their round one playoff game Two nothing or one nothing or no, it wouldn't. But you can't win a series doing that, and so that's why I think again over the next ten days to close out this season, you might not be going up against the best competition, but we've been searching for the right combination of a lineup. And the fact is, this Indians team—I don't know if there is a right combination—but could you find the best option that you can go with in the postseason? I think that that absolutely has to be what they're trying to figure out here to optimize this lineup and and make the most of it. Because, Justin, I just don't know how how this team hits Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel, if it's going against the White Sox, or if you're going against Tampa Bay, how you're stacking up offensively in a series like that. it's That would be the nightmare matchup of all matchups. It would. <clears throat> you're right. I don't know how. Look, the bottom – the bottom three in this lineup are, are a black hole. That's just what it is. I'm sorry. There's no other way around it. It's on a nightly basis. It's anywhere between 10 to 12 outs a night. You, there's no getting around that. I mean, I know Roberto Perez has been hurt, um, but he hasn't been good. And if he's, if he's not healthy, he's not going to be any good offensively point blank. I mean, he's in there for his defense and heck you hope that he's healthy enough for the playoffs because uh, the alternative isn't great, especially if they choose one of the two catchers they have on the bench that uh, is not the better option, we can get into that. Josh Naylor has struggled since he's been here. Oscar Mercado hasn't been giving a consistent playing time. You know, he had the walk-off hit off Josh Hader. You know, that was the first hit all year Josh Hader gave up. And that was before the losing streak started. And the next night, he wasn't even in the lineup. Like, I don't understand – I'm not saying one hit dessert, you know, gives you a, uh, I'm sorry. He wasn't lineup. He went over three. I lied, but you know, he hasn't played consistently. Really. They're still splitting him time with, with, I don't, I don't know. on an, I don't know on a nightly basis who's going to be in the outfield and not that there are any issues or not that there are any one set of outfielders that are the right combination because they've all been bad at points this year, but I just don't think you can go into the postseason and, you know, oh, well, tonight's going to be Oscar Mercado, Delano de Shields, and, and Tyler Naquin. Tomorrow's going to be Jordan Luplo, Delano de Shields, and, and Oscar Mercado. Like, there's just no no semblance of a plan out there still. And, and, you know, we're 50 games in. That was a problem 
through the first 49 games or the first, you know, 40 games. It's still a problem. And I realize they don't have a lot of good options to turn to, but, you know, last year, okay, you knew that Oscar Mercado wasn't center. You knew that, and right well, and after they got Yasso Puig, Yasso Puig was going to be right. Um, and then and earlier before Tyler Naquin got hurt, you knew that the outfield was going to be either Naquin or Luplo. Like, you knew that. And and the Luplo-Naquin thing is still is still set in stone. But they're just mixing and matching between the, the, the other three guys. And, you know, Josh Naylor hasn't hit since he's been here. Josh, I'm not going to – I don't want to – you know, bag on Josh Naylor because this is not his fault. But, you know, it's hard to say the Indians got enough in that straight. I know it was about the future, but they certainly probably, I don't want to say they were forced to sell low because they weren't forced to sell low, but they they ended up selling low because what what is Josh Naylor is hitting 167 with a 430 OPS since he's been here. He has not made the outfield any better. We said that putting him in left field over, over Domingo Santana was going to be an upgrade by default because Domingo Santana was so bad. Mm-hmm. And jo- Josh Naylor has been worse. Well, that's the frustrating. Worse. That's the frustrating thing is you did not upgrade your lineup in any way, shape or form at the trade deadline. And I'm not asking you to make a big splash, but to a fan base that not that you're doing things for your fan base, but I'm just saying, Justin, uh, and not that they're buying tickets this year, but what kind of a message does it send to your clubhouse if you literally know that you've had a bottom five lineup in baseball this year and you've got a top three rotation in the sport and you didn't try to elevate that bottom five lineup? I'm sorry, but that sends a bad message. It really does. I They traded – okay, obviously some people have said that when they traded their best pitcher, Mike Clevenger wasn't their best pitcher – and, and to be fair, Mike Clevenger is two and one in three starts with the Padres with a three ERA. He has 17 strikeouts and three walks in 18 innings. He's pitching about the same as he did uh, when he left here this year. Yep. So the Indians didn't lose the trade because Mike, they're not losing. The eight game losing streak didn't happen because they, they traded Mike Clevenger. Honestly, that trade hasn't made a difference for the Indians. They've, they've been just as good or just as bad with or without Mike Clevenger, you know? Josh Naylor has been worse than Domingo Santana, but the pitching has been, you know, the starting pitching has had hiccups, but it hasn't been any better or any worse without Mike Clevenger. So that trade really hasn't had any impact at the major league level uh, so far, which is a bad thing because if you're going to, if you're going to add three pieces, you know, for Mike Clevenger for your second best pitcher, you should have gotten some sort of major league impact this year, even if it was a down year to make the trade because of circumstances, Yep. And you still felt like this was the best time to extract the value from him. And I understand that. Like the, the market value from this winner would have been lower and the market might've been suppressed. So that's why they didn't get the same deal. They got with Trevor Bauer a year. Well, I understand that, but this trade has had literally zero impact on them. And you traded away a 29 year old number two starter who would have, who would have started the second game in the playoffs. And I, I'm guilty of saying this. I said the Indians are going to be better for the trade because I didn't think trading Mike Clevenger was going to hurt them. I thought that trade can only help them. And I guess it hasn't really hurt them, but they're not any better. Like it's just, it's just, they didn't move in one direction or the other, I guess. And everything, all the little things, I mean, this would have happened. This losing streak could have happened with Mike Clevenger and Domingo Santana on the roster, honestly. 
they're not the reasons they lost eight in a row. So that trade just never moved the needle. And now they have to find what's going to work for them in the playoffs. Like they, there's no time to call anybody up. You're not calling Nolan Jones up tomorrow and putting him in left field. You're no. not calling, you're not calling Bradley Zimmer back up because what, what, he, what is he going to do in the last 10 games or nine games uh, that he didn't do in the first 20? Which I never really thought. I never really thought he got a fair shake. I'm just saying. I I just never thought I saw enough of him. Well, yeah, it was the inconsistency. We we talked about it every night after after on post games. Um, that it was a it was just kind of a hockey line change every night in the outfield. Like most nights, you were getting two two or three new outfielders. So you know they almost got no hit by Freddie Singer. That would have happened no matter who was here because the offense hasn't gotten any better. Same with being shut up by Danny Duffy. I mean, and then with that, the other things too, they've been picked off on the basis. Like that game you were talking about the other night, Glenn of the Shields got picked off. Glenn of the Shields is supposed to be your fastest base runner. And his value come, I don't want to make this whole podcast, the, uh, the line of the Shields hate podcast, but the, the Kyle Shore first, the third thing, the, the pickoff that he got picked off the other night. Um, he missed a fly ball the other night too in center field. That guy can't play in the playoffs. I'm sorry. At best, he is. He's going to though. You know that. That's that, that's the problem. That's the problem. Like, is Oscar Mercado any better? No. But has he cost them any games by miscues? No, he hasn't. And and Sandy Elmar said the other night about you know the lineup's defense. He said he said, well, I'm more worried about being picked off first. I'm worried about all of it. I'm worried about you know it's it's not just the lineup like. Jose was picked off first the other night. Lindor was picked off first a week, a week before that. Their concentration on some nights just isn't there. You can't get picked off when you can't score more than three runs a night. And, you know, obviously you can't take Lindor and Ramirez out of there, but I'm sorry. Delano De Shields has hurt you more than he's helped you this year. Other than pinch running late in the game for a catcher or coming in as a defensive replacement with a lead late, there's mm-hmm. no way that guy can be on a playoff roster. I didn't want to get in the playoff roster just yet. But that guy can't play. I'm sorry. That guy cannot be on this team in, in key moments right now. He has hurt you too much over the course of this losing streak. And it's not all his fault. But it's very clear that he's not helping you win ball games. So I've had this thought, and it's not something that, that's going to blow anybody's socks off or surprise anybody. But the the thing that everybody's been talking about is, you know, would Tito coming back help the team? Well, it certainly can't hurt them further. He only helps them. And one thing that, that you take away from the eight game losing streak, it's the first since 2013 for this team is the common theme. I mean, the, the common theme that was early on in Tito Francona's tenure. Um, but I go back to the fact that the way that they've been playing has looked the furthest thing from a Terry Francona-led team. And Terry Francona is big on details. And if his team does make mistakes and, and does things wrong, especially little things, Justin, we have seen in the past that that clubhouse either holds other guys accountable, and that's because of Terry Francona and the way that he runs a clubhouse. And I, I don't think it's fair to just say Sandy Alomar, the transition there, everything's weird this year. 
everything is weird. And, you know, Sandy said himself, it's the substitute teacher and everybody gets tired of the substitute at a certain point. When it's not really your team in terms of you being the manager, uh, it's hard to just get the same level and have everybody on the same page. The Indians are all like Francisco Lindor said, turn the page. Our season is like a book. Well, right now, Francisco, you're on chapter 21 and Delano DeShields is on chapter four. So like that's, that's everybody's at a different point in the book. You, you, it's like a class that like two guys in the class, two people in the class on the 24 read the summer reading book and the other 22 didn't, you know, like that's that, which happens a lot in high school. I, I'm guilty of it, not doing my summer reading, but that that's the, that's the thing here. And I think that when you think about the Indians, you know, I think that Terry Francona is going to come back. I have a gut feeling it's going to be next week. Um, either in the White Sox series or even in the last series of the year against the Pirates. I just, he was at Progressive Field watching with Chris Anstani. I know that's not the same as managing. And maybe if Brad Mills were in the dugout, maybe Tito would have come back sooner knowing that he had, knowing that he had uh, Mills to kind of, you know, lift him, if you will. Um, but by the same token, that guy wants to be back more than anybody. And I think he's going to be back. I just... I think by the Indians not ruling him out for the rest of the year, it's just increasing the chances of him returning next week. My gut feeling is he comes back in some way, shape, or form. He, I didn't expect him to come out on this road trip. You know, I think they wanted to make sure he wasn't traveling for his first games back, but it's for him to come back here on this final homestand if he's up to do it. And if he's up enough to go in the ballpark like he did 10 days ago, if, the, if they feel that, that he can go inside the ballpark, I got to think that that was kind of the the pre-step to him potentially getting back inside the dugout. I I think they need him back. They absolutely need him back because he his presence you can't fully account for it. It's irreplaceable. You know, he's one of the great managers of all time and he's one of the great managers in Indians history and is going to to go down. I mean, this is a guy that uh that could have could very well have a statue, if not different statues, built for him one day. That's that's the kind of manager that he's been throughout his career. So they need him back, and I I think he's going to come back next week. I have a gut feeling. What do you think? I don't know. Everything to me. I, I know he was at the ballpark, and maybe that that's a sign of things. Maybe, and I agree with with not traveling and and trying to keep him safe that way. But I don't know. Every everything that's gone on to this point, and everything we've heard, I I just don't know that we see a return from Francona this year. I, I I don't know if that's in the offing. And to your point, I don't know. I feel like he would have tried to come back, back faster without Brad Mills because it's very that's clear. True. That, it's very clear that Sandy Alomar is, has been overwhelmed. And, and the, again, this whole eight game losing streak, is not his fault. It's not when you lose eight in a row and you have to pitch in the Indians deal, it's not any one person. Obviously we've seen different guys, make mistakes uh, with errors and, and base running mistakes and not hitting or hitting batters with a pitch. You know, it's everybody ha- has not done their part to end losing streaks. So it's not on one person, but no, just some of the responses from Alomar. I mean, that, that, you know, responses to being second guessed and criticized. I think you can just see it. It's, it's getting to him. And I, I feel bad for seeing him. I really do because He's right. This is a weird season. It's not his fault the outfield is a mess of, of terrible hitting. It's not his fault that 
Uh, well, it's his fault that he tried to play Jose Ramirez through a thumb injury. They yeah, but it's it's not his fault that Carlos Santana's hitting 182 with a 490 OPS. It's not. No, it's not his fault. 671 OPS. I'm sorry. I was looking. But, yeah, it's not his fault that Santana's been below the Mendoza line. Come on. Right. No, it's not his fault that Fran Mill Reyes is a streaky player. Like, Fran Mill Reyes carried the Indians' offense for a couple weeks, and now he's been ice cold. He had two RBIs in the win over – the Tigers, but that's the kind of player he's been this year. He started out bad. He got hot. He started, he got bad again. He got hot again. And now he's cold. He's maybe he's coming out of it. But at the end of the day, I just feel like, you know, he has made enough questionable decisions where this isn't going well for him. And I can just see it's getting him. And like I said, I feel bad because Sandy Elmar is one of the, is one of the people that is still connected to the nineties that is here. And he was a fan favorite for so long. And now it seems like, Fans hate him and they want him to go, like they're over him. And I feel bad because he's really dedicated a lot of his professional baseball life to the city and to the organization of the Cleveland Indians. And for sure, I I don't want to say go to the Wolves, but I mean some of this is definitely his doing. He's made some rookie mistakes, and that's what I want to focus on. Is I still think Sandy Elmar can be a major league manager someday, but and he's making he's making the rookie mistakes by managers that rookie managers make. Terry Francona made them in Philadelphia. Um, AJ Hinch, who, who won a World Series, the Astros. I know they cheated, you know, whatever. Um, he got fired by the Diamondbacks because he made so many bad decisions. Gabe Kapler in Philadelphia was ran out of there and is now in San Francisco getting a second shot. He might actually be bad. <laughs> well, okay. Maybe you're right. That's a bad example. But <laughs> the point is, rookie, rookie managers make rookie manager mistakes. And he doesn't have the benefit of Brad Mills in the dugout like Francona does. No, no. Okay, first of all, Brad Mills would be the manager if he was here. That's not Brad Mills' fault. Obviously, we know what he's going through. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to scapegoat for Sandy here because he's made mistakes that are very clear. But I just think it's, it's unfortunate that um, he's had to go through this, and it's been it's been so focused on him despite everything he's been through with the Indians organization going back to his days in the 90s. And it's unfortunate the, the viewpoint that the fan base is going to have on him now. But I, I really hope he learns from these mistakes because here, I hate the thing. Braces here. The, the thing about this team, big picture, is you look at the way that the rotation is set up. You look at some of the young bullpen arms that they do have. Some guys that are in some new roles, but like I just look at between James Karen check, I think about the way that they've developed Phil Maton, and that's encouraging. I mean, he's raised his velocity, he credits the developmental staff. I think about Cam Hill still, I do, but but going beyond that, I think about Quantrill as well. I mean, I he looked really good earlier this week. I, I thought that was the best he pitched since he's mm-hmm. gotten here, but like. You can't – because let's face it, I'm sorry, but you're not making a World Series run with this team. This team is not good enough to do that. If they win a playoff series and get to the next round, anything could happen. It would be great to win a playoff series, but you're going to have to pull off a significant upset, and, and we'll get into some scenarios. But, you know, big picture, um, you have, again, next year, with the pitching you have under control, like your rotation is going to be – Excellent. It's going to be in a very, very strong place if provided everyone stays healthy. Knock on the wood. You are sending a potentially very weird message. You you can't have a rotation this good and just be an 81 and 81 team. I'm sorry. It's 
it's almost reminiscent of the Mets in recent years, like at times. And this rotation is even better than that. But you you have to find a happy medium in this upcoming offseason. And maybe you'll get some hometown discounts. But my goodness, Justin, they are trending towards next year. We, we've we had a hard – I'm sorry. We've had a hard time uh, with the 60-game season. I don't know why I'm saying I'm sorry. But I'm just <laughs> being honest with the analytics here. Um, if you're, if you're having a tough time with this offense in a 60 game season, you know, you're really going to have some challenges in a 162 game marathon. Yeah, absolutely. And now it looks like Jose Ramirez is back. I mean, look, Jose Ramirez had a thumb injury. He, he struggled at times, but he's, he's still been their best hitter. And now he's tied for the league league or the American league league in uh fan graphs for. So Jose Ramirez, the MVP candidate is back and Maybe that's a great sign for the Indians in the playoffs, but this entire – since 2018, okay, so for, for three years now, uh, or, or two and a quarter, however you want to describe 2020, I guess, but going back to 2018, the offense has been built around, okay, Lindor and Ramirez have to play like MVP candidates and everybody else can contribute and fall in line, whether that was Carlos Santana, uh, Edwin Encarnacion, Yonder Alonso, Yep. They found Oscar Mercado, Tyler Naquin. All, everybody else has been a role player around them. They don't have any other lineup depth that you can really count on day after day the way they're counting on Ramirez and Lindor. And look, no, Lindor they, they, has this year. They don't have a good pinch hitter. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, about this whole, whole losing streak is, and again, this is not 100% on Alomar. Has he made really bad pinch hitting decisions? Yes, Pinch hitting Sandy Leone for anybody. I don't care who it is. Unless it's <laughs> like I would pinch hit a pitcher. Like if, give me Josh Tomlin back. I can't pinch believe Josh it. Tomlin. Justin, that is such a oh Justin, I have not. I'm serious watching the game on the couch because we're watching games from home. And really wish we could be at ballparks, but that that hasn't happened. Um I I'm not kidding you when I said uh I was cackling cackling laughing in the living room when that was happening because i knew you know we we update our twitter throughout the game and we've seen the quote tweets and we appreciate all the interactions to our fans but uh my goodness i knew that the house was going to be on fire when that was sent because like there's no other way to describe it but i think we just put simply the indians have submitted a pinch hitter for roberto perez colon sandy leone like you're just stating fact, and my goodness gracious, that was – that just <laughs> – I just That's don't understand. I, it's, it's just – yeah, there's no other way to describe it of, like, that is not what you do in a game that means something in a high-leverage scenario. You, if you're trying to win the game, you do burn three players there. You yeah, that, that, that explanation was so bizarre, like – I've, I've never heard, I mean, and I, I know the Indians' aversions. Like, I'm very, I think we're all very aware of how they like to manage their team. They, they, if they only have two catchers, they don't like pinch hitting for the catcher because then they have to put the backup in. Then there's no emergency catcher, right? And, and that, that's a Frank Kona thing. That's not an Alomar thing. They hate that. But when you, and, and then this is an injury thing too. Like, you have three catchers. If you have to pinch hit for one of them, <laughs> Use the third – Use if you, you put whoever is going to hit for, for Roberto Perez who has got an injury, and then you put Sandy Leone or, or – well, I guess Sandy Leone catching or, – or Austin Hedgeson. You have three catchers. Make the move. 
Like mm-hmm. you're still you still have an emergency catcher. I I don't understand how they, they let that go. Like, yeah, Perez is gone, but if you pinch it, you know, Austin Mercado, I I forget who was left at this point for for Bruno Perez, you can bring in hedges and Leon is still your emergency guy. I think, I think Luplo was available for them at that point in the game. I'm okay, pretty sure. It was. Anybody was better than an injured Roberto Perez and obviously Sandy Leone. I, Mike Freeman would have been better than – I think Mike Freeman started that night. but He did. I would have gone Luplo. I would have gone anybody, anybody, a pitcher. Sandy Leone was the worst option, but his explanation I think was worse than his choice because they were afraid to burn an extra player. Like To me, that's not – okay, that's not just a Sandy Alomar problem. It's a bad excuse – Maybe he was trying not to throw the front office under the bus for bad roster construction. Like they 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 played Jose Ramirez through an injury when they could, and they probably needed to. Honestly, looking back at the offense, we we you know we we chided them for that decision, but I think looking back in hindsight, God, they probably needed to. I offense. don't think. Do you think that they would have done that in a one sixty two game season? Depends on the month. I think it depends. Like if it was like May or June. Probably not. If it was like August or September, possibly. Um, and also, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how severe the thing was. It sounds like he's better now. He got over it while playing. So it is what it is. But the, the point is not playing those guys through an injury. Like Roberto Perez had a sore shoulder. Now he's got a lat problem. Hopefully he's okay. But when you play guys through injuries instead of sit them down, your, your bench gets short, and then, you know, you force yourself into bad decisions like Sammy Elmer made the other night, and then it's just poor roster construction. I mean, you have, you have Adam Plutko sitting in the bullpen pitching once every full moon, <laughs> and maybe you'd re- – I mean, I know, okay, I'm, I'm not as big a Yu Chang fan as everybody, a lot of other people are, but I'd rather have Yu Chang on the bench or Bobby Bradley on the bench with a chance to pinch in on any, any given night than watching Adam Plutko – you know, come out here as often as, as a full moon. Like, what's the point of that? It's it's, it's bad roster construction. And, that, and that's another little piece that contributes to a losing streak. When you don't have – it's a 28-man roster, John. You, How do you not – I understand there's roster crunches at 25 or 26. It's a 28-man roster. Well, You should have that thing optimized for any situation. You have more than enough roster spots – to be ready for any situation thrown at you with 28 players. I'm sorry. You just should. Yeah. And when you have a rotation as good as this rotation's been, you don't need a bridge guy. Like a bridge guy is, and and you could say, yeah, you do. No, you don't. You don't. You do not need a bridge guy. Like at the worst in baseball, all the time, all the time, there are pitchers that start games and give up five runs in like five or six innings. The Indians are getting, Starts that are so much better than that, and they have Adam Plutko in their bullpen. And, and look, Adam Plutko has a voice, and and he's a player's rep, but that doesn't make up for the fact that he doesn't really serve a huge purpose on this roster. Because when your rotation's as good as this rotation is, you know you, you really don't have a need for him. Now they actually might have a need for him here in the last week and change to start a game because of the the playoffs and trying to get everybody aligned in their rotation have Bieber for game one, please sack for game two, which is what I think is going to happen. But, you know, you can't both not elevate your lineup at the trade deadline and have some of the guys that the Indians have on their 28 man roster. Like you can't just stand pat. And it feels like they've, they've stood pat with, 
lineup they've had. And Justin, even though they were 26 and 15, like I think we all throughout the season were kind of like, we weren't saying it, but you, you had to think in the back of your head, man, at some point, at some point, they're going to go through a stretch where maybe they're not getting these incredible starts from their pitchers. And then how do they win games? They're really not capable of coming back in games. They really don't put up huge outbursts of runs, except for the Reds and the Cardinals games. And last night against Detroit, Detroit, they're just, their pitching's bad. It's, it's in a bad place. It still is bad, and uh, it's going to continue to be bad this weekend, which is why the Indians could could sweep the series. They hit bad pitching, and for this lineup, like I, I'm not going to take anything away from this weekend. If if you win three or four from Detroit, you should, or if you sweep them, you you probably should, because they have bad pitching, and the Indians' best way of winning is to hit bad pitching, and you know they're going to get a quality start. But to be, I think I saw the stat: twenty and thirteen when they get six innings. And uh, three or less runs. How many teams in baseball would die for that kind of thing? Oh my gosh, there's some teams in baseball that don't have 10 quality starts. The Indians, over half their season's been quality starts. So I think it's it's like 27 and 23. Should we be ranting this much? I don't consider it ranting. I consider just explaining the frustration of you do. Because Justin, it'd be one thing if the team like had no hope. But you have the best pitcher in baseball. And it does feel like you're on a a track to potentially waste the type of pitching they've got in the playoffs. And I don't think there's anything more frustrating in baseball. You know, they say you go as far as your pitching takes you. The Indians, they're they're almost the opposite of that in that their offense has been so inconsistent that it gets frustrating because you're putting that phrase to shame. And I do believe that pitching depth wins in October – but the Indians might be the case that goes against that because they just can't hit solid to good pitching. It just has yet to happen this year. And that's why I'm not going to get real like amped up or positive if they do beat the Tigers or Pirates, if they take six or seven from the Tigers and Pirates. You know, I And I think that the series, as we turn the page here, the series against the White Sox next week could be kind of different and unique because the teams are – they're, they're on a track to potentially see each other the following week, which is is very strange uh, when you consider the circumstances of the upcoming postseason. Yeah, let's round second here on that, too. And, you, you know, you brought up another good point that I want to I want to carry into our discussion of the playoffs here um, is that they they don't have multiple ways to win. Like Lucas Giolito for the White Sox is a great pitcher. He's an ace. I don't know if he's as good as he was a year ago. I, I have to look at the numbers, but he was my I think he was ridiculously good last year. He threw a no-hitter this year, so maybe he is just as good. But, okay, the White Sox have pitching that's close to the Indians. Like, they've been they, – I, I think I saw somewhere the other day, they have the second-lowest ERA uh, for the starting pitching in the American League behind the Indians. So their pitching is better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, Giulio, 3-5-3 ERA. Dane Dunning has been really good since he's been up. Keiko's back. Dylan Steese has been good. So their starting pitching is is better than it was last year. It's, it's good enough for the playoffs right now. Their bullpen is has some nasty pitchers, and the, and like you said, their offense can just beat you over the head with a hammer any any given day. So the White Sox are capable of winning a, a two to one game, but they're also capable of beating you nine to six. The same with the Twins. The Indians have one formula: it's to score first, it's to 
hold you to two or three runs, maybe at max, and then hope that the bullpen doesn't fall apart. Because that's the other issue here, is that we knew this bullpen had some question marks coming into the season, and they pitched way over their head early on. And we thought, okay, maybe these guys are just that good. We don't know. And they've had some hiccups. And we, I think it's fair to expect they're going to have some hiccups. Uh, Nick Wickren's hat has been a little bit um, inconsistent lately. James Karinschak has gone through some stretches. He was really good, really good the other night against the Cubs. Really good. And that's the guy. That, that's the guy they need. They need that James Karinschak. Otherwise, they're going to be gone in the playoffs in an instant, um, and, and setting up tea times. But they don't have a whole lot of answers in that bullpen. That you're like, okay, I mean, there is no Shaw Allen Miller out there, and that was their formula in 2016. But you know what? That formula happened because out of necessity. The, the formula was, yeah. let's ri- ride Corey Kluber as long as we can, get Bauer and Tomlin through the lineup twice, and then let's get Miller, Shaw, and Allen in there. The formula now is, oh, God, I hope Shane Bieber gets into the seventh or eighth inning, or I hope Zach Plesak gets into the seventh inning, giving up one run or less, because otherwise it's going to be hard to win. That's not a good formula for success. Well, It's the, it's the only way they can win. And, and you know what? They lost on the losing streak. They lost games where they scored first. We kept saying, well, they're this good and they score first. They're this good and they score first. They blew some of those games during the losing streak. But the only formula for them to win is score first, get great starting pitching, and hope the other team doesn't score more than two or three runs. That is the only way they can win ball games. They, I mean, I, I, again, like you said, I'm not taking anything out of the Tigers series because they should be the Tigers 10 to 3. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, they're going to win the game one against the White Sox 10 to 7. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> um, But here's, here's my thought. Like, I'm not going to win. Well, here's my thought uh, on this. If you know that Wickren's struggling and you know that you really don't trust, which we're going to get into this, who do you trust out of the bullpen? Obviously, Karen Check. Hands done more than enough this year that you can. I know that people get the Brad Hands. Look, you, you you trust him more than your some of your other relievers. There's no question about that. Brad Hands kind of turned. He's found a new way of of pitching. We haven't seen a lot of him lately, but I I still will err on the side of trusting him more than I'm erring on the side of oh my gosh, it's Brad Hand. I'm not going to do that. Um, I just I wonder, I wonder if they like. If you know that that's the scenario with your bullpen, Justin, I do think in a three-game playoff series, and the Indians have been ones to do this, they get a little bit um, radical with their approach and a little bit fresh with their approach. Like, could you could you go to a starter starting pitcher to relieve a fellow starter and have a starter go two innings? Like, I wonder if they do that with a McKenzie or something like that. So that that's a good question because now the for, now the the format's out. So. And I think I, this helps and hurts the Indians, I think. At first we thought, I mean, no, no matter what, they have – if you go to this postseason, I think they have the best pitching staff maybe outside of Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's got a great pitching staff too. But they should be – I mean, the Indians pitching staff should be the, one of the best in the, in the postseason. It gives them an advantage. But there are no off days until the World Series. So the three-game wildcard series is going to run right into – the five-game division series. It's going to run right in. And then that next series is the is this ALCS. And my God, if we're still talking about the Indians in the ALCS in, in a couple weeks, <laughs> I don't want to know. 2020 just continues to throw us for crazy loops because I don't expect to be talking about that at that point. But I don't know what they do. Like, 
there, there's, there's two schools of thought, right? Like you try to win the game in hand and you worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, which again is a specialty of Terry Francona. It helped them get through the 2016 playoffs and it's helped them curb losing streaks in the past. That's another problem here is, Hey, one of that eight game losing streak and, and Terry Francona is so good. I know when Lindor said they turned the page, whatever, but clearly they haven't. Not all of them, like you said, but you know, maybe you do put a Carrasco or a McKenzie or a police act, one of those guys in the bullpen to bridge the gap a little bit and, and leverage your, your pitching to win a series or win a game. But if you do that, you know, you're potentially messing up your rotation going into the next round because if yeah. you win a series like that, there's no off days. Yeah. You're going to mess up your pitching. So you either have to take look at it like, okay, we're going to line up our five-man rotation the way we want to line up, and that's what it is. Or you have to look at it as, okay, if this scenario happens and we need to use Tristan McKenzie out of the bullpen um, – Today, we have to figure out what's going to happen two days from now. In two days from now, we have to win today. You got to win today. You got to win now. Do you think that's the way they should go? Because I'm a little on the fence about that. Because Well, the only thing they have going for them is their starting pitching. That's the only way they can win. If they screw that up and they win the three-game series and they go into the ALDS – maybe it's a a small miracle they even get to the ALDS. Oh, well, that's the thing is – you have to win for the now, and you have to. That's how the Indians have done it. They, that's how when, in 2016. I know they they didn't necessarily sacrifice severely, and they had some things go in their favor. But you know they 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 had Ryan Merritt. They had a bullpen game. It was weird the way that they won some games, but they were just on fire and they came up with timely hitting. I think you can't save for the later if you can't get through the now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm always of the belief I don't mind it if they take the chance. I know you're saying they could be screwed later on because they can't just outmash teams. Well, that that but that that explains the answer to the question. Like they they are not a team that you would say right now is capable of making an ALCS run because they don't possess the offense uh, to to make a run like that. But but. Um, you have to win for the now. You have to go for it. Um, and I, I know that that strategy could come back to maybe haunt them, but I would get a whole lot. I get a whole lot more mad when I. I would be more frustrated or more upset if they said, "Well, we were saving that starter for down the road. That's why we didn't go to him in a two-two game." And you pitch Nick Wickren, and Nick Wickren gives up the go-ahead run. Like I think. When you save pitching and you just say we're saving them for down the road, like what if you don't get there? You know, like that's that's one thing is Sandy Alomar said last week because this ties along to the the road analogy. Justin, I'll, I'll segue. He said, right now we are a car that's on E, and Terry Francona is our emergency gas station, which kind of indicated that Terry Francona could be back. Like it was an interesting quote and he got sarcastic with it. It made it sound like, you know, there's a chance, which is why I'm still leaning towards the idea of Tito coming back. But um, the Indians car is not on E the Indians car pulled off to the side of the road They're They are out of gas. And right now they have Jose Ramirez, Shane Bieber, Frankie Lindor pushing the car. Like they're trying to get it to the gas station to get filled up. Um, you're, 
you're not going to be able to with the, with the way that this car, this team's constructed, you, you can't, you simply can't um, hold on to pitching for deeper down the road when you have an offense that you cannot rely on on the road itself. So you've got to find a way, I think, to do whatever it takes to win. If they could win that first series, here's the thing. They're not going to be favored in that series. People are going to say they have a chance to win game one because of Bieber, but they're going to say they don't have enough hitting. They're going to lose the series. You know, the Braves are a matchup nightmare. Um, If it's the White Sox, interesting, because the White Sox, it's interesting when you're back in the postseason. It is, and there's not going to be any fans in that stadium. Um, And the Indians pitchers have kept the White Sox lineup in check. So, like, I'd be, I would be fascinated by a Tribe White Sox series. I think it'd be very interesting. Uh, actually, for the sport, too. I think it's great pitching against great hitting. Let's see what happens. Um, but I, I, I'm always in favor of, you know, win for today, win for the now. What I, what I think about, Justin, with the new postseason format is, and I want to pick your brain here, if they're going with eight teams aside, American National League, and – Rob Manfred alluded to the idea that they're going to continue this, which I shake my head, but okay. You know, let's face it. That means there's going to be some real, real average teams making the playoffs. And let's face it. Um, the Indians were already going to cut payroll. You know, I just, I, what I get wary of is them just kind of being like, you know what? We're okay with being the uh, sixth, seventh or eighth team in the postseason, And I, I do get wary of that. We see in the NBA, there's kind of that. It used to be the Bucks, like, oh, we're just going to make the playoffs, like, and we're, you know, we're fine with that. Like, I, I do get concerned about that in the future of like the way that the playoffs are structured, you know, organizationally, not the front office, but ownership continuing to only use that as an enhancement of, yep, we make postseasons in Cleveland, but come on, guys, come on. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that. I don't know. We don't know what the postseason is going to look back look like after this year. Like it seems like they're going to stick with this sixteen team format, maybe a fourteen team format. Um, it seems like the expanded playoffs will be here to stay in some some form going forward, and that and that gives them some disincentive almost to continue to try to win 80, 45 games because then they get into the postseason. It's like, well, we got there. Anything can happen. We got there. We get there. Like, you know, anything, anything's possible. Um, you know, I, I do want to get into a conversation about next year, but maybe right now at this point, it's not the right time because I think next year looks really, really bleak, not bleak, but it looks very muddy for them a year from now. And they're still trying to keep the window. Like you said, they're trying to keep the window open from, from going into a Tigers or a, a Royals like rebuild and they want to win. They'd rather win 85 games a year and be the last team in the playoffs rather than winning 65 games or mortgaging the entire future on winning 95 games but getting bounced in the second round regardless, like, uh, you know, 2017, although they had injuries that year. It's, it's a weird message, and it's, it's, a, it's maybe not a great spot to be in. But taking a step back, like as, a, as a baseball fan, growing up an Indians fan and, and watching them as my main team now, I don't want to watch the Royals or the or the Tigers. I don't want to watch 90 losses a year because all you're watching for at that point, like if, if they do that, to me, that's okay. Well, okay, when times are normal, when we're not all cooped in our houses, um, that's that says to me 
yeah, go out with your friends. Go to the beach. Go go to a restaurant and keep an eye on the game, but don't watch the whole thing. That, that, I'm sorry. When, you, when you're going to lose 95 games, you're just telling people, okay, do something else with your summer. Um, and, and come back when we promote Tristan McKenzie or Nolan Jones. Watch those games for a little bit. Um, I, if, I'm, if I'm a Royals fan, like oh, I might watch every Brady Singer start, and I might watch when Josh Donmount comes in, but I'm not watching every game. I'm certainly not watching Matt freaking Harvey pitch. Good God, that should not be happening. And I don't think the Indians will ever have that issue, but um, I hate to say it, but I'd rather go to the ballpark every, every couple of days to watch an 85-86 win team because at least you know there's enough talent on that team to win, win more games they're going to lose. And I hate the mentality of, well, if things break right, you know, we can get to the playoffs and something can happen. That's not a fun way to look at it. It's not. But baseball is a six-month sport, okay? It's April to September, and a lot of people argue that's too long. I get it. Maybe it is going forward. Maybe that needs to be cut. But if I'm a baseball fan and I'm going to watch – I have a chance to watch six months of baseball, I want to watch the 86-win team over the 95-loss team and hope that four years after that, that we win 95 games and we get to the World Series. Like, I – I think the hopes are just much less that way because then you're only paying attention for a short amount of time. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's where you wanted that rant to go, but that's just how I feel about baseball. I know you wanted to get into the playoffs more, but <laughs> that's generally how I look at baseball as a whole sometimes. So let's, let's paint this picture here. Playoff series, you know, what's at stake here, Tampa Bay or Chicago. Let's talk about this and the way things could stack up. The Indians are basically locked into that seventh or eighth spot. I mean, they could they could catch the Twins. They're only two back in the loss column, but they're four down in the win column. And if you look at the Twins' schedule here down the stretch, we know that the Indians have three against the Tigers, four against the White Sox, and then the Pirates for three. For the Minnesota Twins... Um, you've got the Cubs this weekend, and then off of that, you face Detroit for two and Cincinnati for three. That that actually, for the Reds, that could be very important. Um, but they're probably going to go three and two, if not four and. Let's see, they play two and then four and one over their final five. I mean, this is this is the chance here. If the Indians are going to catch the Twins, they. They need the Cubs to take two of three, and the Indians kind of got a sweep. I guess the question is, does that matter? Um, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. If you're locked in at two or if you're locked in at seven or eight, odds are you're going to face the Rays or the White Sox. You know, and if they if they win three or four in Chicago, here's what happens. Uh, Chicago gets knocked down to the second seed, in which case the Indians probably don't catch the Twins, and you're facing Chicago anyway. And if you lose to the White Sox three or four, there's a good chance that knocks you back to the eighth seed and you're playing the White, playing the White Sox anyway. The only thing that really kind of um, keeps things where they are is the two seven is if the Indians split with the White Sox two and two. I guess that depends on what happens with Tampa Bay this weekend and if the Indians continue to um, make Detroit their home. Um, so I don't know if it really matters. I think the more important thing is, and we have to talk about this, is – do you have to start planning for the postseason at this point? Because oh yeah, this is, this, this is the most pressing question, I think, and, and the answer is obvious. And if they don't make this decision, 
I everyone needs to go. Like you need a clean house if this decision is made. So right now, right now, Shane Bieber is scheduled to start Tuesday against the White Sox. And then because of that, he would be scheduled to start the 27th against the Pirates, which is the final game of the regular no, season. He's going to be off for that game. He's, I, th- I bet you he starts Tuesday and then doesn't start that last game. Well, what about this? Because this is what the White Sox did. Now, the White Sox have a little extra time to uh, shuffle things because they're in a better spot than the Indians are. Not that it matters. The Indians should be locked in anyway. They have to lose out, I think. They would have to lose the final 10 games to be knocked out of the playoffs, I feel like. Um, but they shifted their rotation. So it's already set up for the playoffs. They, they shifted – Lucas Giolito to start against the Indians on the 24th. That lines him up to be on five days rest for the 29th, which is game one of the wild card series. Do the Indians make that adjustment? Because right now, the White Sox last 10 games looks like this. They have, in the Indian series alone, they have, what's the date? Today the 17th still? The 18th? Today Today is, what day is it? In 2020. Yeah, 2020. Popular question. What day is it? It's Friday, September the 18th. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they have Jonathan Steve going tonight. Then they're throwing Dylan Season down Dallas Keuchel uh, against the Reds over the rest of the weekend. When the Indians play Chicago next week, they have Dane Dunning, Carlos Rodon, and then they're going with a bullpen game for game three. And they have Giolito lined up for game four, uh, game four of that series. So he could pitch game one of the playoffs on regular rest. Do the Indians skip uh, Beaver's start on the 22nd? push him to the 24th for the same thing because I don't think it matters. There's no gamesmanship to be had because of this season. You've only faced your division plus a couple of NL central teams. So it's not like by hiding Shane Bieber from them, he's going to, they're going to miss out on something. They already know what Shane Bieber can do. He's pitched great against them. So there's no gamesmanship to be had there. You either pitch him or you don't because it doesn't change a thing on, on, you know, things aren't going to change on September 29th just because you didn't pitch him the last turn for the rotation against the White Sox. Same with Giolito. The Indians will get a look at Giolito one final time for the playoffs. And they and you know what? They need that game because they have got to pick something up on Giolito they can do against them because they can't hit him. So that game is important for the Indians in just going out there and trying to find some sort of plan against them that's going to make that's going to work because in all likelihood, it's going to be Bieber and Giolito on the 29th. Um, but I wonder how the Indians navigate that. If it were me, I would push. I would do what the White Sox did. I would push Gilly, or Bieber back to 24th so he is on regular rest for the postseason. I guess you could pitch him the 22nd and have him throw like a, a three-inning sim game in between to keep him on some sort of regular rest. But I would rather have Bieber on regular rest going into the 29th. So and you- if that doesn't happen, if they – if, if Shane Bieber is allowed to pitch on September 27th, everyone should be fired. There's there's no coming back from that. That's the worst decision you can make in 2020 as far as sports is concerned. Hmm. <laughs> Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And I think they'll get it right. I think they'll I, get I do it right. too. I think they'll get it right. I, I don't see them doing something like that. I, I trust the fact that they're. I think they'll have Bieber probably start Tuesday and probably get that last start off because you don't need Shane Bieber against the Pirates. You know, give him some rest and and have him start Tuesday against the White Sox and then have him have him get some time and uh, he's going to lock up the AL Cy Young. Well, it's already locked. I mean, he he is the AL Cy Young Award winner and um, 
that'll be if the you're not who you're voting for. Yeah, well, I think he'll get MVP votes. You know, I I typically am not the fan of voting for a pitcher for MVP. Shane Bieber's going to get MVP votes. There's no question, mm-hmm. no question about it. But I just do you think Plesac goes game two? Okay, so right now Plesac has to Plesac pitches today. So if he goes today, um, that puts him up for that puts him up for game one actually of the postseason. So right now Plesac is, is lined up to pitch uh, game one for the Indians in the playoffs. So I don't know. I, I mean, I guess in theory you could go Plesac one, Bieber two. I'm not sure why you would. Um, I know that's been brought up before, but um, I, I, I there's and the thing is there's no days off left. They don't have a day off to skip guys or move guys around. They would either have to start Adam Plutko to move things around, or they have to call somebody up. Um, I don't think they'll do a bullpen game because this bullpen is not a, a bullpen I would do that with, given the experience. But I don't know. I, I it's time to start asking those questions, is it not? Like again, we know. 99% sure that the, the Bieber's not starting on the 27th. Um, but it's time to start asking those questions. It's time to start figuring out who's going to pitch on the 30th for the Indians because it's good. if it's going to be Bieber the 29th um, and what Carrasco goes, I believe, Sunday, the 19th, uh, it's McKenzie. So right now, if, if the way things line up right now, if they skip Bieber's last start and everybody else stays in the same rest, um, you're looking at, Bieber, Plesak, and McKenzie. I don't know if that's the way they want to go. So I guess it's time to start asking those questions. How are they going to line their rotation up? I I would like to see Carlos Carrasco out of the bullpen because he's done it before, and I think that gives you the best option to win a three-game series. If you can turn to Carrasco on back-to-back days. I agree with that. Yeah, he's the only guy – well, okay. Zach Plesak could probably do it. I think Zach Plesak is the only guy in the rotation besides Carrasco that can do it because I, I think Zach Plesak could do anything the way he's throwing the ball. I do too. I think he's a guy who would have no problem pitching an inning on and in game one and pitching two innings game two. I think he's the kind of guy that could do it. He has the mentality and I think he has the stuff. He has the fastball to change up in the slider. Uh, Aaron, to me, Aaron Savali doesn't have bullpen stuff. Aaron Savali is best when he is throwing all six of his pitches. Oh, for sure. At over a five inning stint. I don't think he's the kind of guy at this point you put in the bullpen. And I, I have a lot of questions about Tristan McKenzie. Would I would I love to see him pitch two innings out of the bullpen? Absolutely. I think he'd be great. His fastball would be up to 96. He would blow guys away. But then you don't have McKenzie for the next day. And then you have to figure out how he's never pitched in the bullpen. And he's he hasn't pitched in two years until this year. So I have questions about that. Even though he might be, he might have the best stuff out of anybody for the bullpen. I don't know if his situation right now is the best fit for that. That being said, I still like Carrasco for game two because he's been very good as of late. He's turned it around from those that, that rough couple of starts he had at the end of August. And he's been there before. He's the only guy in this pitching staff besides Brad Hand, that is ever, and Oliver Perez, I guess. I'm not sure if Oliver Perez has been before. Well, obviously, it was with the Indians in 2018. Um, so you have three pitchers in this, in this pitching staff that have pitched in the postseason, and Carrasco is the only one that's made a start. So I, I kind of rely on that for game two, honestly. As much as I like him in the bullpen, I would, I would probably go 
Bieber, Carrasco, Savali, and please sack out of the bullpen if you have to. That's where I'm at right now. I agree with that. I, I think that uh, I totally agree with Savali. Savali's stuff is that of a starter. And um, it's he's at his best when he's able to work all those different pitches. But it it goes back to the let, – let's look at the matchup potential here. You know, for the Indians, if they end up facing the Rays, uh, you're talking about Blake Snell. You're talking about Tyler Glasnow. You're talking about – uh, Charlie Morton hasn't really been, you know, that that good for them here. This they could go with a bullpen game. Ryan Yarbrough. Oh yeah, they've got. Huh, they're loaded with bullpen arms. Um, you know, Yanni, that's a team you cannot not score first against. I'm sorry, but oh, you're going to lose if you if you are down three nothing after the fourth or fifth inning. Just go home. You're done. It's over. Yep that that's the thing with Tampa Bay. You know, you you think about Tampa Bay's lineup. And again, this they have is, some injury concerns. They they do uh, not to cut you off, but they have G-Man Choi and Yandy Diaz both on the DL with their IL with uh, hamstring issues, and it doesn't sound like G-Man Choi is going to be back before the end of the year. And he has been, uh, I don't know, their lineup is pretty good. So he's like a top five hitter in their lineup. He's been good. Can you just see the Yandy Diaz tweets now? Oh man, don't do it! Don't do it! <laughs> I can I can read them now. I can read them now. Um, he comes back, you know he's hitting home run off of them. Oh, man. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know, not a, not a great offensive team, but a team that just knows how to win. They, they get out to a lead, and then they hand the game off to their bullpen late. That's the game. That's the game. It's, it's kind of like it's, they're an even better. Remember when we were saying, yeah, if you're down to Milwaukee, you know, you're going to have trouble beating them. Well, the Indians actually, they held their own, and they, they actually hit Josh Hader, and it's just so weird, Justin. Like the way that the Indians won that series over the Brewers, I was thinking to myself, you know, this team, this team could end up winning in October. Like they, they just beat a Brewers team that we respect their pitching, and I understand that they've they've kind of been underwhelming offensively, but like they have shown the other side of things because they win in a way that's hard to win in baseball, and if you can master that way of winning, that's why Tampa Bay's so good. It's why Tampa Bay could win a championship. They've They've mastered the way of winning. They just throw pitcher after pitcher at you, and it's it's very difficult to compete with them. So that's why Tampa Bay, you know, they they take the Indians' way of winning, and they say, yeah, you're not going to beat us doing that because we're better at that than you. And, oh, by the way, we could win in a couple different ways too. So that's a concern if you face Tampa Bay. I mean, you're going down to Tampa Bay at that place they call a ballpark, which it's not, um, and you're, you know, it's a house of horse. For an opponent, uh, you would much rather face the White Sox. I would. I mean, I, I don't know about you. I think you'd much rather face Chicago. It's not a good matchup either way. Like the only saving grace is, um, Luis Robert has struggled lately. Edwin Encarnacion has never really gotten it going this year, but he's a veteran bat. He can have it in the playoffs. They have a bench. Though. That's the thing. They have a bench. Like. Adam Engel is as weird as a hitter he is. He's having a nice year. James McCann is an option off the bench, or he could DH. Um, they brought Yomer Sanchez back for whatever reason. They actually have a bench, and they know how to use it. And their bullpen, I think a lot of people talk about Tampa Bay's bullpen, and, and, they're, and rightly so, but Alex Colomay's been great this year. Um, he's pitched a little over his head, but he's been great. Matt Foster throws in the upper 90s. He's great. 
Evan Marshall has a ridiculous changeup that uh, the Indians are never going to hit because they can't hit changeups. And then they have guys like, uh, you know, Jace Fry just came back. Aaron Bummer just came back. I don't know how good he's going to be because he just came back. Uh, Cody Hewer and Jonathan Stever. Jonathan Stever might not be a starter in the postseason for them, but he could be a reliever and he could be a nasty one. Um, it's pick your poison. I don't know. There's a, there's a good choice. Like, I don't want to go to Tampa Bay and play in that ballpark, and I don't want to face those pitchers. I don't want to. I don't want to feel like when you're down two nothing in the third inning that the game is essentially over. Um, I guess I like the odds of the White Sox better because, as much as their lineup can hit you over the head a thousand times, I trust that Shane Bieber and Zach Plesac can be good enough, or or, or Carlos Carrasco, whoever can be good enough to hold them to two or three runs. And I would look at their postseason experience and say, there's a shot here, I guess. The Rays have been in the postseason and their relievers to me are much nastier. And I think there's almost a, an aura if you're down. I mean, that's the problem with the Indians is that when they are losing three nothing in the fourth inning, you're pretty sure they're going to lose. Like that's already the feeling people have. Um, but if you're going to have a shot to do that against anybody, I guess it's the White Sox. It's certainly not the Rays. That that okay. between the Indian struggles coming back on teams and the fact that it's almost impossible to come back on the Rays, you might as well just turn your keys in and go home if, if that, that's what happens. All right, I, I want to try this here. The, the game is biggest thing. Biggest thing. I couldn't think of a better name. So I've, I've thought of biggest thing. So my biggest thing that I want to see over the next 10 games before the playoffs is clear, is clear. I'm going to give you mine after I ask you for yours. I'm putting you on the spot. What is the biggest thing that you think you've got to see from this team over the next 10 days? Could be one player, could be one pitcher, could be something interesting. Like, I just want to hear what, what, what it is. I've got mine. It's locked. There, well, obviously, there's multiple things. If you're asking me to stick to one thing, yep, I'm asking you to stick to one thing. It's mistake-free baseball. It's not getting picked off. It's not making errors. It's it's catching the ball. That's the one thing for me is they have to play perfect baseball. There is no room for errors, whether it's on the bases or in the field. Okay, my biggest thing is clear because when he has hit, everything seems to just change. You know, Ramirez is hitting. That's great. Lindor's been better. That's nice. I really think that Framil Reyes swinging a good bat in October could, could be a game changer. And I say that because power hitting versus power pitching. If Framil Reyes is going out to right center, we know what he's capable of. We know what he's capable of when he's in a groove. At times this year, Justin, he has been one of the best hitters in the game. At other times this year, he could not look more lost. I mean, he is, if Pedro Serrano were in real life, I feel like Fran Reyes is, is that type of hitter. Uh, seriously, we, we keep talking about James Karinchek, Rick Vaughn. I, I mean, Fran Reyes, Serrano at times, like it just, it, it, it rings true. Fran Reyes has got to hit. If he's not hitting this team, offensively they like as is their their disadvantage they need him to hit that is my biggest thing that has to happen let me ask you this biggest thing here 
the the bullpen arm that you believe has to be not Karen check or not hand, you know, who's the bullpen arm here over the last 10 games that you would like to see in a groove going into the playoffs? Who is that number three guy that you trust? I guess it's gotta be Nick, but no, you know, it's Phil, Phil Maton. They clearly trust Phil Maton and he's been good for the most part. So I'm saying Phil Maton, he's already looked good. So maybe, maybe it is Nick Wicker. I don't know. I, I trust, I trust Phil Maton the most besides Karen Jack and hand. But I need to see Nick Wickren uh, stabilize things here going into the playoffs. Um, that's two biggest things. I, I guess we have to do one more. Let's see here. Um, you talked about mistake-free baseball. The the biggest thing that you'd like to see if if there's another hitter besides Reyes that you'd like to see put together a consistent string of at-bats that you think could be important for this hitter to be in a groove heading into October? Who is that hitter uh, that maybe you've been waiting on or maybe when he's hitting, you've been a little bit more encouraged than you already were? I guess Oscar Mercado would be a key guy in the lineup. Right? Oh, that that would be great. I mean, if that he, hit right. If he's, yeah. If he's number nine in the lineup and he's hitting to get to the top of the order, like we already know Ramirez and Lindor. I, I think it's great Ramirez looks like he's healthy and hitting in the playoffs. And I agree with you on Reyes. I think that uh, if they can get one of Reyes' hot streaks going to the playoffs, you know what? No, it's not going to be Mercado. It's got to be Carlos Santana, right? That's the obvious answer. It's got to be Carlos Santana. He's got to be the Carlos Santana we've expected because um, that makes your top five a little more complete considering Lindor and Ramirez look like they're MVP candidates again. Well, I, I can't believe that there's, I mean, I guess I can, but it is so weird saying 10 games, you know, it, it's it, even though it's been a sprint, I mean, it has been when you're on this team's beat day in, day out, I know a lot of these guys are, are on it that have been doing a lot longer, 162 um, for the marathon. But uh, this has been a lot. There's been a lot of stuff. A lot of, I'd like to say it, but a lot of the S word. There's been a lot of stuff, Justin, that's happened over 50 games. I mean, a lot. Like, you, you could have a season's worth of headlines, a 162-game season's worth of headlines in these 50. You know, they've had... Sandy filling in for Tito. You've had Ty Van Berkleyo and Brad Mills not in the picture. You've had Mike Clevenger get traded. You've had an, a lineup that in the bottom four ooh, this year. I mean, Naquin's been fine, but but still, you know, he he was hurt at the start of the season. You've had bullpen exceed expectations. Bullpen shows some true colors, but more exceed expectations. And oh, by the way, you've had oh during all these different things happening, you've had the best pitcher in baseball. Like there's been a lot of things that have happened actually beyond the game results. Because this team, you know, somebody we've had the post game callers on IBI post game. They're not easy to watch with the way the offense has gone at times. But they've had a lot of things happen in this 50-game season. I think a lot more than some other teams have had happen. Yeah, it's, it's, there's been a lot to navigate. I don't know. Other than the Cardinals having to play a horrendous amount of double headers 
I don't know that any team has faced the adversity that Cleveland has had to face from the coaching staff, from the police action Clevenger incident to. Does that give them a pass then for the 27 and 23? A little. It's a loaded question. Yeah. You know what? At the end of the day, to wrap up kind of things here, at the end of the day, I don't know going into 2021 how much I can really look at 2020 as any sort of indicator going into next year. Like, yeah, they haven't figured out the outfield for next year. There's going to be more questions next year. The roster is going to have a lot of questions that they, they, they failed to answer. But as far as individual player performance and, and how things panned out for this year, I don't know if I can really sit here and say anything definitive about 2020 um, just because of, of all they faced and, and give it a 60 game season. Anyway, it's, it's such a weird, a weird season. I don't know how much stock you can put into things that happened this year, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you've started to map things out for next year and how has that looked? Yeah. So to get into some previews for, for next year, um, the depth chart is going to be something that's going to be added to IBI soon. It's going to be a depth chart for the Indians and it's going to be a depth chart for every level of the minor league organization, which is uh, really difficult right now. But looking over the, the depth chart for next year, yeah, it's not pretty. It's if they if they retain Francisco Lindor, uh, I think next year things kind of look the same as they did next year. If they trade him, obviously there's a lot of things up in the air. Um, it's going to be a weird year, and there's not a lot of answers. We're going to, we're going to be talking about a lot of the same things next year that we talked about this year. Hmm. They just kicked, they kicked the can down the road is what they did. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's why I can put it. That's I mean, that, I you know, that's, uh, God, we, we've been doing the, aside from this podcast, what's been every night, um, explain to the listeners if they have not viewed it yet, which I, I don't know how you would miss it. Cause if you listen to this podcast, you probably caught it. What the IBI after dark post game experience has been like this season? <laughs> it's a, it's a mixed bag depending on the night. You have you have your callers who make crazy arguments. There's a couple out there that to call in and just just kind of throw stuff at the wall just to to get a reaction. We have callers who are asking you to take their glass your glasses off. Um, we have some drunks, and we have some some passionate baseball fans who who really just like talking about baseball, and they're, and they're glad that there's an outlet to do so. That's that's kind of everything in a nutshell, right? I, think, I don't well, think I missed it. No. And, you know, I think that it bears noting, I'm not comparing the show at all to this, but I'm saying Cleveland leads the country in their viewership of games. Mm-hmm. And our post-game show – We've seen, you know, an average of about 2,000 a night uh, or so, and that's different people checking in here and there. But I think it does show that the passion in this town for baseball, that people sometimes tweet and say, oh, it's it's gone away. No, it hasn't gone away. Um, sure, attendance has been different, but the way that I always look at it, Justin, and and tell me if this is a bad take. Should attendance be better? You could talk about that all you want. 
this is a town that throughout their 82-game basketball season, now they don't have LeBron James anymore, but when they did, they, they, you play in an arena with, what, about 19,000, 20,000 seats. And, you know, they filled that arena or got 16,000, 17,000 people. You're not going to get 40,000 a night in this town in the current culture of our world. In the 90s, yeah, different story, different story. But I do think that just because the attendance isn't what people think it should be doesn't mean that there's not interest in the town for baseball. And I, I do think, I, I'll just say it, I've been in New York and New Jersey the past seven years, and you notice different intricacies about the local sports scene. And the Yankees get brought up. The Mets have played a backseat because they haven't spent money. That's going to change Steve Cohen. That's a huge, that's a huge game changer for the Mets franchise. The Mets are going to be able to be a big player for free agents now. They're, they're going to pay money for players. I mean, they're, they're going to. That said, like I, I think if there's anything I've taken away, even in this shortened season, it's it's that the interest is there. There's a passion for baseball. It's why Indians Baseball Insider, credit to you. It's why the site, you know, it, it, there's certainly value. Um, in a world of media that's gone down, you know, the, it's not like the fan base interest has gone down. It's just can you find the right medium? And I very much enjoyed hosting IBI Postgame this year and, and obviously being with you on this podcast. But I just, I think more than anything, appreciating the fans. You know, do we get prank calls? Yeah, but the show wouldn't be, it adds some fun to the show. And I honestly, I'm so impressed at times. I really am. I'm impressed with the knowledge of fans that call in. I mean, there, there's there been some fans that have called in this year. They've brought up points that I didn't even think of. And and uh, you know what? That's that's a good thing. I always love love when that happens because we're not the – look, we're, yeah, we follow the team. You, you're you inside everything with the Indians. Um, I've covered the team this year. I don't know everything there is to know about the Cleveland Indians – and um, I very much enjoy sometimes when a caller calls in and says, you know, have you thought about this or what about this? And I've, I think that that just shows there is a passion level. It's not just sound off after a loss or after a win, what's your reaction? We do take a deep dive on the organization, and there's a fan base that wants to do that. And I think that that, that speaks for itself when on a nightly basis we're getting a lot of that. So, you know what, final 10 games here of the season – um, they've got to they've got to go into the playoffs playing much better baseball uh, and doing the little things. And I still think that they can. Um, is this a team that's going to make a deep postseason run? Not on paper, but you know what? It's the old adage of baseball. Once you get to October, you're zero and zero. What you did in the regular season does not have any bearing. And so you just never know. It's the beauty of the sport, and we are covering a playoff team. You know, I, and I, I'll never, I'll say that here, growing up in this town, you never, never take that for granted. I don't care if Rob, look, Rob Manfred might be taking 16 teams. That might be a bad idea. But in this town, we've gone through some playoff droughts and some bad times with certain teams that you can never overlook the fact that, hey, there's still more good than bad. It's been very, very ugly recently. And the future of the organization, you could talk about the, the financial cuts, but the Cleveland Indians are about to go to a postseason, albeit different, and they wouldn't make it under normal circumstances, but you you do what you have to do, and that's going to be, what, uh, four times? Yeah, four times in the last five years. They're going to head to the playoffs, and in game one, in game one at the very least, and, and even beyond, we'll see who they're playing, but 
in game one, they're going to have the pitching edge to set the tone. It will be an opportunity. And that might be the one saving grace that you fall back on right now. But you know what? Um, it's a good one to have because Shane Bieber is going to rack up, what, the the fifth Cy Young in the last 14 years for this organization? How about that? Unprecedented, considering how long they went between Gaylord Perry and, and CeCe Sanathi, I think, was the, the gap there from whenever Gaylord Perry won it to, to – it's 2007. That's incredible. It is. Your thoughts on any other of those points there that were just made? Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see a playoff series. I'm always excited. There's a different different atmosphere. I know the fans won't be there. Oh, we're going to feel it. You're still going to feel it if you're a baseball fan. I I believe that. I know there won't be fans, but there's a different level, is there not? It really is. There is. And, And maybe outside of, I don't know, Every game in March Madness is exciting because it's winter go home and, and playoff hockey has a different feel to it, but there's just such an electricity for playoff baseball. I, I, we are going to miss the fans, but there is such a different feel when you, when you flip the calendar to playoff baseball, you have a different feeling because you know what you're living and dying on every pitch. Um, and that that's, that's exciting. It's gut wrenching, um, but it's, it's exciting because it's gut wrenching. That's, that's the fun part. And if the Indians go down one to nothing, Oh, everyone's going to be, you know, ready to to go out and drink 20 beers. I don't know, but it's going to be exciting. Um, I, I'm really, I'm really most curious to see how they navigate these final 10 days because there are a lot of things they have to get on track to get there to make it worth it. And I don't, I don't know if this is fair. I don't, I don't want to go too much longer because we, if you, anybody who's listening this far, bless you because. We've gone on and on. This is the longest podcast you and I have done together, John. And, and I'm getting hungry a, for lunch. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we went through we went through. Now we're getting into lunch. So uh, bless you if you've listened this far. Thank you for being the fan that you are and, and know that we so much appreciate you listening to this point. But um, there's a lot of things they have to, to clean up the last final 10 games. I'm really curious to see how they do that, especially starting starting with the question of the rotation. Um, they have to get those plans going. And, it, and if they make it, if they make it past the first round, given everything that's happened this year, I almost have to feel like the season was successful. I know coming into the season and having a Shane Bieber in your rotation, the way he's pitched this year, it sucks to say that winning the first round playoff series is a successful season because you're not winning the championship. But how the season has unfolded, I think we are relegated to think that if they win the first round this year, over whoever they play, it's a successful season. It just is what it is. I could not have said it better myself. I mean, I, I think that that uh, over these final 10 games, you know, you've got to do the little things. You certainly have an opportunity against competition that's just lesser than you. Let's see what, what happens. Baseball's been cr- – crazier things have happened, Justin. I mean, it's not out of the question – that the Indians are just a seven or eight seed lock. It's likely Um, the twins still got to finish the Cubs. The Cubs are a good baseball team and and they could, they could take two or three from Minnesota. Who knows if they swept, we we might be talking a little differently heading into next week with some higher stakes. But the point is um, you, the Indians have to, I I do think I asked this to Delano the shields and I, I want to get your thoughts here before we, we head on out. But, when you know you're a playoff team and you almost kind of stop paying attention to your division race because 
well, you're out of it. Like, does it make it easier for you just to focus on yourself and getting better every day? I hope that that is the approach that the Cleveland Indians take here over the last 10 days. They're not going to have to sweat. They just have to play their their game. And they're going to beat the Tigers and Pirates if they play their game. But I do think that there's almost like a moment where you look in the mirror and you say, you know, let's let's just focus on ourselves. Because when the Indians do play their best, they are good enough to beat quality teams. They've actually played well against good teams this year. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's see if they can focus on themselves. Because in a lot of respects against the Cubs, they did things that they were beating themselves. You know, like they, they almost beat the Cubs twice, but they beat themselves. Don't beat yourselves. If you beat yourselves, it's tough enough to beat a team in October. Don't beat yourself. Over these final 10 games, correct those little things. You're going to face bad pitching. Find a way to to hit that and get yourself into an offensive groove. And you know what? You you pick the ball up in October with the best pitcher in the game, and I do not think Shane Bieber will crack under pressure. I think he's he's just I – don't, I don't think there's any stage too big for that kid. I think that kid – he might just be getting started, Justin. He really might just be getting started. So, I don't know. We've, we've featured all different points of view with this team. We've admittedly said that the offense is, is a lacking offense. When you have pitching this good, it's tough when you have an offense that's as lacking as it's been because if the offense were even average, they might still very well be in the driver's seat of the division. Um, but I do wonder if if the way that the playoffs are structured this year allows them to just say, you know what, guys – We've just got to play a whole hell of a lot better and stop worrying about the scoreboard. Yeah, well said. That's exactly what they have to do. Pick the ball up and, and don't beat yourself. Just to, to bring the podcast full circle, this losing streak would not have reached eight if they would have just played mistake-free baseball. They just need to not beat themselves to have a chance. The pitching is good enough to do that. I think that Ramirez and Lindor are in a good spot to carry the offense. If they can get one of Randall Reyes' hot streaks timed up starting the 29th of, of September, I think there's a shot they could get to the first round. Uh, they just they cannot beat themselves. The offense isn't deep enough to do that, and that's their brand of baseball. Their brand of baseball is pitch well, a couple guys carry the lineup at any given day, get a lead, and – don't make mistakes. If they can do that, they're going to have a chance to beat whoever they play in the first round. Um, so that's what they got to tighten up the final 10 days. That's that's all they got to do. And it's a tall task, but they have 10 days to, to figure out what they want to do and how they're going to do it. For John, uh, follow John at John underscore Fanta. Follow me at JL underscore baseball. Follow uh, IBI on Twitter at official underscore IBI. Head over to IndiansBaseballInsider.com. Uh, for subscribers, like I said, we'll have the depth chart up soon. We'll have, um, let's see what else we're working on here. We're going to have top 10 in each position coming up prospect-wise. So we're going to go really deep on each position prospect-wise. Um, and then we're going to go through and, and hand out the best tools in the system among prospects. So best hit tool, best power, um, best fastball, best slider, all those kind of things. That'll be coming up at the end of the year. And I'm hoping – I'm hoping at some point to get James Harris on the phone to talk about how things went over at the alternate site camp this year um, and kind of wrap up the minor league season or whatever you want to call it at this point. So be on the lookout for all those things and make sure you stay tuned to uh, John on Twitter and 
Yeah, yeah, Twitter account for post game. You don't want to miss the fun adventure that is Indians <laughs> post game in twenty twenty. And hey, <laughs> I'll leave you with this, Jay Lana. We will hear. We will hear next week, and you can never take it for granted because I, I do believe we will hear this. The phrase in Cleveland that rings true uh, when it happens: Tom Hamilton say Cleveland, you will have an October to remember. And you know what? Uh, it might not be one to remember as well as others, but uh, he's going to say that. And in this year of 2020, at least that provides a burst of a smile. Couldn't have said it better. Good way to wrap it up. We will get back to you hopefully next week, depending on how things unfold. We'll get back to you every night after the Indians post game. For John, I'm Justin. If you made it this far, have a great weekend, uh, and God bless you. Have a good one. Thank you.